Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you very much for being with us today. Today, we are lucky to have on our show Heather Redmond. Uh, Heather is a uh, uh, tech executive and angel investor in Seattle, and she's been in Seattle, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know, you've been chugging away in Seattle a good a chunk of your career. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Excited you, to be on. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So you, uh, you really started your career here in Seattle. Yeah. No, I came here straight out of law school where we have three lawyers on the show today. So this is pretty <laughs> exciting. I bet everybody's just quaking in their boots. Um, yeah, started here, uh, went to law school at Stanford and um, came up here immediately after. I was a Northwesterner before going back down to California. And so really wanted to get back to okay. either Portland or Seattle and decided that the uh, business environment in Seattle was much better than the business environment in Portland, and so came up here as a result. Um, started out as a lawyer in this very building. I was just saying that uh, this little corner office that Joe has, very fancy. Um, I used to be a few floors above this, um, and I still get kind of a contact high from the uh, the negativity in the elevators <laughs> coming up. Um, yeah, that's that's probably why you don't come into the office every day, huh, Mike? Yeah, I'm the same the same way. I was uh I've been at multiple firms. Like the two the two firms that I worked with before I went out on my own uh were in that building. And so it's I mean it's it's a lot of friends in that building, but yeah, it's um it definitely reminds me a bit of the grind. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then, uh, so what happened to me is I think I'm one of those people that if I had known what business school was instead of watching in my era LA law, you know, on TV, I probably would have gone to business school instead of law school. And um, as a result, I've become um, sort of the go-to person for people who want to have their loved one talked out of going to law school. And so I, I mm. regularly tell um, nice, young, fresh-faced kids, okay, if you insist on going to Stanford Law School, you have to promise me you're going to get a JD MBA. Um, and so I've, I've swayed a lot of people in that direction. But what happened to me is um, when I was at a law firm, I found you know very rapidly that I was sort of one of the very entrepreneurial people at the firm. And so I ended up heading up a lot of our business development efforts and serving on a lot of industry boards and attending a lot of galas and giving away puppies Doesn't and that kind of stuff. Bad. No, I know. It was pretty fun, actually. Um, and then uh, one of my clients uh, who, you know, had those sort of early dot-com uh, perks of, uh, you know, chair massages in the office and chiropractor comes in on Fridays and bring your dog to work and, you know, beer 30 every day. Um, I ended up going uh, in-house as their GC, a company called Photodisc, and then migrated um, to be the GC, first GC of Getty Images when we did the Photodisc Getty merger and um, brought the companies together here in Seattle and relisted them on, on NASDAQ. Um, and then after that, of course, I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore, so headed off to the business side and have spent most of my career really more on the business side than the law side. Although my current position at Index uh, Corporation here in town is a mixture of law and business. So uh, I can say after taking long breaks from the law that it's sort of fun when you get to practice a little bit now and again, particularly in a business context. Well, that's a wonderful, and it must have been really exciting to be in that role at that time for Getty. It must have been a really fun Thing. It was. I mean, it was. Uh, it was a lot of travel because we were dual headquartered for quite a while. So I was. I was bouncing back and forth between London and Seattle. And at the time, London was not the fabulous place that it is now. So in addition to bouncing back and forth between London and Seattle, I felt compelled to bounce to Paris on the weekends yeah. um, just because, you know, you had to. Yeah, you had to. Well, it's, a, it's not that far of a train ride, is it? Did, no. Was that, 
That was the channel. Yeah. yeah. Nice little channel ride with a little champagne. It's all good. <laughs> well, this, yeah, I mean, what a spectacular career. So now you, you make some angel investments. You do some angel investing. Yeah. Well. So now I, I guess, um, you know, I, I, I like to talk to women about this issue, but I think maybe it applies equally to men now is that as your kids get to sort of a stage where they're more self-sufficient, um, my daughter was about 13 when we moved downtown. We were living out in West Seattle. We moved downtown with the idea that I really wanted to, you know, do a major lean in in my career. And um, you know, I told my daughter, basically, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me. And uh, we were, you know, we were able to kind of get back into the thick of the city. And I was able to start doing much more. I had been running an energy company um, that, you know, did national, international work. So lots of project finance and wind and solar and that kind of thing. But I really thought that um, tech was, you know, where my heart was. And I wanted to get back into it as I started to have more time with her, you know, sort of having her own life. Um, so we moved downtown. Uh, one of the first things I did was reconnect with Alliance of Angels. Dan Rosen is an old friend. He and I were on boards together, you know, way back in the day. Uh, so I called up Dan and said, what are you doing? You know, what's this Alliance of Angels thing? And um, I had done quite a bit of angel investing, you know, sort of back in the late 90s, but hadn't done it for a number of years, just investing in the energy company. So to get reconnected with the angel scene here was a great way to not only start, you know, learning, because if you're writing a check, you're very, very motivated to learn, um, but also a great way to network, uh, because there's nobody that anybody wants to talk to more than a check writer. Yeah. Um, so it, it sort of, you know, causes people to drift up on your doorstep. Um, and it's been great. I mean, I think the quality of the companies here, the quality of the angel groups uh, has really been accelerating over the last few years. Um because I uh, also have a full-time job um, and spend a lot of time, you know, working uh, on things connected with Index, I also felt that it was necessary from sort of a financial, you know, prudency point of view to invest in all the seed funds in town. So in addition to doing my own angel investing, I'm also an investor in Pioneer Square Labs, which is the... Um, more of an incubator than an accelerator. They're really coming up with their own business ideas and right. then asking um, good operators to come join them. Uh, that's Greg Gottesman and um, Jeff Entress uh, and Mike Galcon who are running that group. Uh, but also Alliance of Angels has a sidecar fund that is a really nice booster if you are lucky enough to get some Alliance of Angels folks investing in your deal. Um, the Alliance of Angels Sidecar Fund allows you to sort of goose that up by about 30% because they'll invest in deals where they have a critical mass of their existing angels invested. Um, also Founders Co-op, which is Chris DeVore and Rudy Godry's um, fund, which is a uh, pretty substantial seed fund, probably the most substantial feed, seed fund here in town. As, and as people probably know, Chris DeVore is also the guy that runs Techstars Seattle. And um, if you are a Techstars mentor, uh, you're also invested in the Techstars fund. So I have an investment there. And then um, Nine Mile Labs, where I'm an advisor to their fund. I'm also an investor there. Uh, great group, you know, much more concentrated on the B2B enterprise space. Um, you know, a younger uh, group of, of um, entrepreneurs pulling that fund together and pulling that accelerator together. And I'm sure I'm leaving out something. But, yeah. yeah so well, no, I think that's, that's great. I mean, so got, <laughs> no, that's really nice. I mean, so you got involved in the various funds and then you're mm -hmm. involved in the Alliance of Angels. 
Do you do any of the other angel groups or just Alliance of Angels? That's enough time-wise. Uh, I used to be involved in Element 8 uh, because of my energy background. Right. So that was the former Northwest Energy Angels. And right. I haven't been involved in that for the last year or so, although I've been trying to shovel my husband over in that direction. and He's okay. been bringing them some deals. I think that group is top-notch, but I'm sort of overweighted in energy because I still own a big chunk of an energy company. Um, so I, I didn't – I found that I wasn't really writing checks in that area as much just because of my overweightedness and also because when you know too much about an, an industry, sometimes it can cause you to be reluctant to write checks. Um, and and I think you know that, that sort of blind optimism is uh, one of the things that's sort of necessary for being a good angel. And so sometimes you can know too much. Right. Blind optimism. <laughs> that's Semi-blind optimism? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, mean, I don't know. I think there is definitely something to being an angel. You've got to have a lot of optimism. Mm-hmm. You've got to look past a lot of the because you can always pick apart a company and find a million different reasons why it won't work. Right? Yeah, I mean, anyone can do that. It seems to me. Um, and maybe I mean the hard part. It seems to be the real hard part of being angels, like you know, try, discerning what's really you know what's really going to be difficult versus what maybe people are fantasizing about being difficult. And then also like trying to see the magic in, in something too. I mean, sometimes you yeah. overlook the most powerful part of something. I don't know. What, what, tell me about your thinking. Like if you, I mean, like what the, like when you went into angel investing, what's, was there something that you, you know now about it that you didn't, you didn't appreciate yeah, I think the best advice I got was actually from uh, Shelley Whelan, who who runs uh, Keeler um, Family Investment Fund here in town. And Shelley, uh, if you guys haven't had her on, you definitely should try. But Shelley's amazing. And um, the best advice that that she gave to me was, "Don't go too fast." Yeah, go slow. Make your pot of dough last a while. Yeah, you know, and I actually had to turn down a deal yesterday that I was really uh, wanting to do um, solely on the basis that I've already overspent for the first half of the year in in terms of my, you know, my personal sort of investment strategy. And that's because there have been some really good deals. And so I wrote some checks I wasn't anticipating writing. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of thing you have to do because it's very tempting uh, to, you know, write checks sort of willy nilly as you see things early on, um, particularly if you are an optimist, which I think I am. Right. Um, I take some solace from the fact that I am invested in all these seed funds because that means I think I'm invested in five. So that means I'm very likely to have a piece of pretty much any good deal in Seattle. Um, So if I don't write a check, if I miss the deal for some reason, I still know that I've got some of that allocated in my overall portfolio. So that's one of the things that I really recommend, you know, as I in turn give advice to people is, you know, number one, do be an angel investor because I think it has so many positive knock-on effects for your career. And I've, um, since I am a lawyer and I still have to keep my my license up, I will give talks at at, uh, CLEs. These guys know about CLEs. You have to do 45 credits a year or something ridiculous like that. But I'll give talks at CLEs and I always include in my CLE talk, be an angel investor because not enough lawyers are and yet they do have the disposable income to do it. Um, But I think the diversification strategy, the go slow and then diversification strategy is really the most important thing. So if you're not a full-time angel, which most people aren't, and frankly, I think you're not even getting as much out of it if you're a full-time angel as you could if you were using the angel thing as synergies with your other parts of your career. Right. Um, for those folks, it's really a good idea to put some money into some funds 
so that you know that you've got somebody kind of covering your diversification piece um, while you're, you know, cherry picking the deals that you are really interested in and have individual right. value to give. Do you do you, do you follow in, uh, follow in any uh, AngelList syndicates? Or have you done that? I, or? you know, it's funny because the AngelList guys came up here recently and met with a bunch of us angels. Sort of, they had a you know informal gathering of people they thought were significant here in town, and um, talked to us about it because I think the. The Angelus model is morphing very quickly, and I think where they are headed is really, uh, if you think of it as sort of like an outsourced venture partner model. So what they are looking for are uh, angels all over the world. And I met, I was down at the 500 Startups um, uh, pre-money conference two weeks ago or something in the Bay Area and met the guy that's running AngelList in Europe. Um, and so it's very clear that they're they're doing something very similar over there. But what they're really trying to do is they're trying to be sure that they have um, deal sourcing around the world with, you know, very best angels uh, doing that deal sourcing for them. So it's almost a distributed venture capital model. And they're much less now about and this is me, you know, just interpreting. I don't have any any uh, inside information or, or magic ball, or crystal ball here. But what I think they're doing is really looking at how to outsource the deal sourcing part of it, not so much how do you outsource the aggregation of capital. They're now bringing some very large funds onto the platform, and those those funds are looking at how can we more efficiently source deals from a more disparate geographic basis um, and and probably also industry sector basis rather than concentrating so much on, oh, it's hard to raise money. Here's a great way to get a bunch of money together. Um, so it's, it's very interesting because uh, – you know, my belief at the core, and, and I would imagine you guys probably share this, that the scarce thing is not capital at the end of the day. The scarce thing is good quality companies and good quality entrepreneurs. And and so, you know, the capital, you it's sometimes disorganized and you may have to pull it into a geography where it isn't currently. But I think AngelList is really onto something by looking at how do they increase the sourcing of deals that come to them preferentially as opposed to looking for easier ways to take capital from a variety of people. Right. Yeah, it's, it's always, I mean, I don't know the data, but it's always seemed to me like the AngelList deals were predominantly, you know, Bay Area deals. But maybe my, maybe the data has changed now and it's different. And it, it, I'm glad to hear they're coming up to Seattle and they're yeah, yeah, I think they're I think they're changing their model. I think um for a while Angelist was not, you know, viewed with a lot of favor in terms of oh well that's where you go if you can't get money raised the old-fashioned relationship-based way. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's really changed. I think they're positioning themselves as a back office for people that want to syndicate um and who realize that they have something uh something of value in terms of their deal flow. And so they're like, why not get paid? But they may still be syndicating it very privately. So to sort of the same crowd they would syndicate it normally to, but now they've got a mechanism to charge for that right. and, and to not have all the hassle factor of managing that. It's just a carry. They just take a carry, right? They, they charge some administrative expenses. Yes. But it's just a carry. Yep. Yeah, I forgot what their what their 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 carry share was. I've forgotten now. I think they're tweaking far. that model no. quite a bit. You know, so I've I've seen um, you know a fairly wide range, okay. and I think it depends on um, how uh, how robust the deal flow is. I see. So tell me about Seattle. You have a lot of insight into Seattle. What do you think about our current trajectory or uh, state of being? I, I I I agree with you. I think the quality of the Founders has gone way up in the mm-hmm. in the twenty years I've been, you know, monkeying around with startups. I I think the quality of what's going on in Seattle has dramatically improved. Yeah, 
I think it's just like better, better founders, um, you know, more experienced angels. I mean, I think Seattle's on a really nice trend. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I'm worried that we, um, are not capitalizing on it rapidly enough. You know, I'll use a, a child analogy. It's like we, you know, say we have a genius child who's, you know, six or something, and we've got them in a really good school, but we don't have them in the school that would really push them. Mm. Um, so I think we've got here the, you know, the raw talent to be phenomenal. And I don't feel like we're pushing ourselves enough or, um, re, you know, recognizing that raw talent enough to really go where we should go with the, with the ecosystem here. So what's um, needed? Like politi- better political leadership? Or? No, I don't think it has a lot to do with political leadership. I mean, you okay. know, Joe, that I'm involved in a lot of politics, but I don't think the politics are, are play a huge role, except maybe in one respect, which is that we need to have the city work well. And so we need to have an airport that's big enough. We need to have, you know, streets that are are passable, you know, whether <laughs> passable streets. Yeah. Whether that's, uh, you know, by car, by bike, by yeah. foot or yeah. or hopefully increasingly by transit. You know, we yeah. need to have increased density. We need to build more housing. Yeah. Housing uh, full stop. You know, right. I, I don't know if you saw that story last night. I, I forget where it popped up on my on my phone, but. Um, something about this house in West Seattle that had been condemned because it had, you know, toxic mold and had been like a bombed out fire pit or something. I don't know. I mean, it was half a million dollars. I mean, and it literally was uninhabitable and will probably just have to be completely scraped. And I don't think you can put a multifamily thing. I mean, the first thing I thought was, oh, good. It's a zone multifamily. So of course they want to scrape it. But no, it's a single, it's a, it's a, you know, it's um, single occupancy. For a nice lot though is, you know, Holy it's cow. That, it's not that. They're, they're, they're nice, I mean, nice building lots are... Are hard expensive. to find, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah. No, so I'm I'm a huge urbanist, and I'm I'm really for density. And as you know, I, di- I work downtown. I live downtown, so yeah. I very rarely drive, which which makes me a, a, a social pariah because I have no traffic to talk about. No, you know? it's a great way to live, though. It's, you can, yeah. like, walk everywhere you go. Yeah. I mean, you realize, man, I, it's so it's so nice. It makes yeah. your life so nice. Yeah. No, it really is. You get your life back if you don't commute. But right. um, so yeah. So I think the city, uh, and I and I'm a huge fan of the mayor's. Um, so I think he's trying as hard as he can. But the Seattle does move slowly, and it's it's part of back to that idea of recognizing where we are because. Um, we've never been in a period of this kind of growth, except you know maybe back in the 1900s or something. Right. I don't know. I, right. I haven't looked at that, but it's it the, the growth is phenomenal. I mean, Amazon is adding so many employees, and so we have all of these new folks coming to town. And I think they want to live in a more dense way, and they want to live in a more transit um, concentrated way. So there, right. the flow is there to cooperate with us, but we need to react to it and we need to fund it. Um, so yeah, so if you look at engineering town. If you look at MBAs, and I've written about this in GeekWire, but if you look at the number of MBAs that that uh, Amazon and Microsoft are hiring, I mean, we're just we're piling up talent here. Right. Um, we don't have a lot of capital. We have some good seed funds, um, but we only have really one um, Series A, Series B fund that's concentrated on the Northwest. We have other funds that are located here, but they're not specifically concentrated on the Northwest. They're opportunistic and look elsewhere. Right. Um, and you know, so if you if you were just to do the talent capital ratios here, 
they'd be way out of whack. Um, so some much talent, not enough capital. Right, right. And and uh, it, it, it I I was be terrible if it was the reverse, though, right? Right, I suppose. Yeah, which is you know that is the situation globally. I think right. You know that we we have excess capital sloshing around in the markets. I mean, uh, I, I met with um, the uh, chief investment officer for Northern Trust the other day, just very randomly. She was here in town, and she was talking about you know just that that the chasing of the yield and how much. Uh, people are seeking private equity, and of course, venture capital is right. just a small sliver of the private equity market. But how much people are seeking that right now, just to chase yield, because there's just no yield anywhere no else. Yeah. Um, so the money is there; it's it's getting it, you know, allocated towards Seattle. And I know we've all had the experience where if you go outside of this area and you're in New York or something, you say, "Oh yeah, Seattle," and and they literally think you live in the woods. Um, they think Starbucks was founded in New York. Um, they think, uh, you know, Amazon is in Silicon Valley. Uh, they, they, you know, Costco, they're pro- sure it was started in Arkansas. You know, I mean, people don't realize what kind of a economy we have and, and what kind of yeah. a, a sort of a gold mine of talent we're sitting on yeah. here. Um, and we often get, you know, sort of labeled as this lifestyle city and we, and, and people say, oh, you know, you were a lifer at Microsoft or those people at Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos keeps them so busy and happy working on their own little fiefdoms that they don't want to leave. But this city has such a heritage for entrepreneurism. And, you know, if you look at all the companies that were founded here and you look at sort of the major brands that are headquartered here, right. it's, it's really, um, Super uh, overweighted to Seattle. I mean, we've got five of the top um, Fortune uh, worldwide brands here, right. um, so it's huge. So we need to own that more, and we need to um, publicize that more. And I, there's a campaign going on right now that former Governor uh, Chris Gregoire is running. That's called uh, Challenge Seattle, mm-hmm. and a lot of its impetus is to brand Seattle with the good stuff that we already have here with the idea of encouraging more. Um, so we need to do that. And I think that will attract more capital here for sure. Seems like maybe as we move into the, uh, you know, the VR, we talk about VR a lot on this podcast, but um, you know, you know, video games are growing and, and Seattle seems to be one of the dominant players there. Yeah. Maybe as, as the, the VR generation kicks in um, maybe, maybe we'll, that'll be an opportunity for us to gain some more prominence um, because of the talent we have here in that, in that field. Um, I think that, you know, besides maybe, well, there's LA and here, um, it's Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley in terms of games, I don't think the, I don't know if the game design and the game developer talent is, is there nearly as much as it is here. Um, so that could, that could be our opportunity to shine maybe. Yeah, I'm, I, I like VR a lot and I'm, um, but I have a question mark. I mean, I've always, I've invested in some restaurants. I was in the movie business via Adam Films for a long time. Um, and so the sexier something is, the more reluctant I am to think that it's going to mm-hmm. make money. Um, so VR falls into that category. I'm right now, I'm a little bit more of a fan of augmented reality because I think it has so many industrial and B2B uses. Um, and I think VR will get there and I, but I, but I want it to be bigger than gaming. I want it to be more than entertainment. I want it to be, you know, something that has a lot of uh, business application as well. Um, I think some of the other areas that I am really excited about are the, are AI. Um, you know, I think the stuff that Amazon is doing on Alexa, um, the AI team at, um, at Microsoft, I was reading something, uh, yesterday that, um, just, I I forget how it came across across my phone, but it was a hundred year plan that, um, uh, Eric Horvitz at, uh, um, at, uh, 
uh, Microsoft had put in place with Stanford a year ago to look at the effects of AI over a hundred year uh, time span. So they're, they've set in place this whole leadership succession thing so that AI is looked at like in 12 different, um, I, I put it on Twitter last night so you guys can find it if you want to look at it, but, um, super thoughtful. Uh, and, um, and so the things they're going to be doing, the things that Amazon is doing in the AI machine learning space, uh, I think are very uniquely suited to Seattle. Um, you know, cloud currently enables all of that in a, in a, in a big way. Uh, I also think space. I don't know if you guys have had the space angels on yet. Um, you the should. Space angels? You don't know about the space angels? <laughs> no, we need to have the space yeah, angels. Yeah. Well, show. it's, it's really fun to talk about the space space too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you, sure. you need to do that. You need for to sure. do that. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely fun. Yeah. Joe Landon and his team. Um, yeah, I can connect you to Joe, yeah, but, uh, they are kicking ass. I mean, they are amazing. Um, they uh, are a worldwide organization. Um, it almost operates as a fund now because they do take a carry on their on their fellow angel syndications. Okay. Um, but in terms of dominance, you know, we have a chance to really knock that out of the park. We, it's it's us in Southern California right now. Right. Um, but our our space industry here um, is uh, at least as prominent as theirs. And, um, you know, talking about political uh, alignment, um, I think because of all of our heritage and supporting the aerospace industry, we could very easily pivot that towards the space industry. Right. Um, we're not at the equator, so it's not we're not ideal for launching rockets. But anything else we're, you know, we're great at. We've got the, you know, we've got the aeronautics heritage and we have the enterprise and data heritage um, to really dominate in space. So I, I'm looking at that as being an area that will be politically very popular, will provide some good engineering jobs of sort of the Boeing sort, as well as a ton of great work for um, software programmers. Right. Huh. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fun to think about for sure. So um, I like what you said about you know things that things that are too seemingly too exciting might not be, you know, you, you, you that that flashes a warning signal in your brain somewhere. Yeah, I, I I think virtual reality is going to have a lot of business, great business. Yeah, I, I do right? too. I mean, I think you can train. You'll be able to train your customer service representatives to, on how to handle a, a horrible customer in right. exactly the right way. But that's where I like the augmented reality yeah. a little bit more because yeah. I I envision you know a trainee sitting um you know or or there at the barista you know counter. And you've got somebody in your headset, you know, so you're still you're you're still looking at the customer, but right. you also have somebody saying, Hey, here's how I would do it, or you know, here's how to make that swirl on top of the latte or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> it's so it's just in time training without taking you out of the real world. And and what's interesting there, of course, HoloLens is a real leader in the augmented reality space. So right. um there's a, a guy, a friend of mine who's got a studio here called Look. Um, L O O O K, uh, Sebastian Mott, who would be fun for you to have him on yeah. as well. But Sebastian is all about taking that, you know, that big Hollands team and repurposing them to, you know, figure out what do you do next mm-hmm. with this technology. Um, and it's got a ways to go. You know, I think the, the, uh, the display needs to be better, et cetera, but it's, it's so useful if you think about, um, sort of Google Glass, but on steroids, you know, you can be continually getting additional information to supplement reality as opposed to replacing reality with something else. Yeah, and that's me, what you need in a business situation. Right. It seems a bit like it's um, there's a big difference between those business applications where you're trying to be productive or you're trying to achieve a goal. And then the the VR applications I see more as escapism. Um, so it's I, I, it's hard to imagine VR being as useful in the, in, in the business 
space just because it takes you completely out of where you are. Um, but you know, having tried the, I have this, this Vive, um, the HTC Vive headset that I've been using yeah, and, and trying a lot of things. And it's yeah. the thing about it is it's, I mean, it's, so when I, I used to have the Oculus, the, the DK two, which was yep. their second developer kit and, and the first developer kit. But, um, in each particular, each edition that I use, so this is my third VR headset that I'm on. And every time I get a new one, it's partly because the software is getting better, but I'm spending more and more time in it. So like the first Oculus I had, I could wear it for like maybe 10 minutes and it was more of a novelty, but it certainly wasn't something you wanted to spend, you know, an hour doing anything in because it would make you sick. And, and it was just, it wasn't that compelling, but it was just interesting to see what it would be like. And the next one was a little better, but the, the Vive is the first headset that I could actually wear for an hour doing something like a game and find it entertaining and it's still not quite there, but it's it seems like it's just so close that it's hard to imagine that the next iteration or the iteration after that won't be, um, you know, extremely compelling um, because yeah. it's it really is um, it, when the software is right and it's is and it's um, when when the software you're running is done right, it feels really really um, amazing in terms of like the entertainment value. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely believe it's going to be a big part of entertainment. I'm just sort of looking at where, given what we do here, um, you know, where where can we find the the next, you know, big thing? And I think um, we certainly have a lot of gaming talent, and I'd like to see us make a bigger deal out of that. Um, you know, we have some really big companies that nobody ever talks about when they talk about sort of the top Seattle companies. Um, but we need to, you know, we need to make a bigger deal out of those guys and we need to strengthen that, that ecosystem. Yeah. Um, I I could see, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I could see from your perspective and from an investment perspective in general, that VR, VR strikes me as one of those technologies that's coming. It's going to be there. Uh, people are going to enjoy it, but I'm not quite sure there's like an amazing investment opportunity in any one given company. It's more, it's kind of like the internet, like the internet's coming. How do you invest in the internet? you know, you have to find the applications that you want to invest in and those applications aren't really there yet. So unless you want to invest in, like, I don't know that it makes sense to invest in people that make the headsets because that's going to change. Um, you know, new players will come in and it's hard to predict who's going to be the profitable one. Um, but, and, and, you know, the same thing, game developers historically are not a great investment. They tend to make a game, the game might do well. It's, it's almost like investing in the movie business. It's, it's, I mean, it's not, I don't know. It's not for the faint of heart. You know, it's kind of a, a complete hit or miss. Um, yeah. So I could see like, I see that as being a, you know, technology that's coming, but I could understand why from a, like an angel investment standpoint, you might not see a lot of great opportunities there yet. Um, but like, and, and augmented reality, on the other hand, you can actually see a business. Somebody could say, I'm going to use augmented reality for this purpose and create, you know, an enterprise application that has some a market and I can sell for lots of money. It seems like it's a much easier thing to wrap your head around in terms of what the opportunity is. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm assuming we'll all feel differently in six months, you know, because everything's moving so fast, um, which is what makes it so fun and exciting. But I think, um, I think the important thing is that VR has grabbed all the headlines and you need to think about it as, okay, we now have this capability to layer on reality. So how much reality needs to be layered on for each use case is the question, but the capability is there. And sort of where's the low hanging fruit in terms of business models that are enabled by that? Um, and maybe this is my lawyer uh, hat speaking, but one of my sort of soapboxes is that I think 
we sometimes are too concerned about innovations in technology and not enough recognizing the value that's created by innovations in business model. And mm -hmm. so when you think about a lot of what has created value over the last, you know, sort of cycle, a lot of it is innovations in business model. You know, Uber is technology enabled, but it's an innovation in a business model or Airbnb or even Amazon. Um, and so, you know, that's really important, I think, to recognize is where is the value created? Is it the technology stack or is it from the business model innovation? Yeah. I think of all those as just just massive improvements in customer service. Mm -hmm. I mean, the customer service experience with taxis sucked. Frankly, yeah. frankly, you know, the customer experience with hotels is frequently disappointing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think you just walk around and you just look and see, hey, where where are people suffering and disappointing? Disappointing experience from customer service right. review, and they, then you probably have something. Right. Yeah. Or where can you make this thing more accessible to others? You know, sure. how do you broaden the market? How do you how do you create something useful on both sides of the equation? I I just invested in a company that I'm really excited about that um, uh, I I uh, mentored through TechStars, but it's called Shift, S H Y F T, and they are um, empowering workers yeah. to to swap shifts. Great idea. Um, Super great. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. Good for good for the worker for sure uh, on good both sides the of the too, equation, right? but great for the business. Because yeah. what they want is, you know, a totally liquid labor market. Right. And they don't want to manage that if they don't have to, right? Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want labor that just sort of just flows? Yeah, you know, perfect. you get exactly yeah, what great. you need when you need it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the it's like Amazon for labor, right? Yeah. It's prime labor. Um, and and so it's, you know, I think it's one of those things where there's just this, you know, technology enables this great synergy, but you have to put the right business model in place and you have to put the right UX, UI in place right. because it is about making all of that work well and be pleasant um, right. for the worker and for the business. Yeah. No, that's really, that's really interesting. Huh. Well, so amazing array of things you're involved with. Like when you, when you decide you're going to just chill out and relax, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> do you go boating or sailing? I, I, you know, I'm kind of worried about myself actually, because I'm, I'm in a period now I've never been great at relaxing and I'm, and I, and I don't think I've ever taken a day off yeah. from I, every job I've done. I've sort of like switched from one job in the morning to the next job in the afternoon. Yeah. So I'm not big on vacations. I always call them relocations <laughs> because really this is actually one of the reasons I'm excited about shift is I feel like us knowledge workers, we've had the luxury of, Hey, I can take my laptop to Hawaii sure. and still earn a living, you know, for the two weeks while I'm there. Yeah. But if you're a shift worker, it would be really nice to be able to go take that Starbucks shift in Honolulu for sure. and helpful, yeah. finance your vacation, you know, uh, that you wouldn't otherwise ever get to take. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I don't take a lot of breaks. I'm really pretty obsessed with Seattle and, and the technology community right now. Um, and so if I'm, I'm on a number of boards, um, looking to go on a couple more, um, spending a lot of time, particularly in this uh, season, on on politics locally and nationally, um, as we get up to the November election, um, and uh, very active in sort of the non-tech business community too. I'm on the chamber board as well as the Washington Technology Industry Association board. Yeah. So trying to you know knit the city together, create more heat and energy around you know where I think our opportunity is. Um, and I'll, I'll keep doing that until I, you know, sort of get too exhausted to, to keep doing it. But for, for the time being, I find it extremely energizing and, and yeah. have no desire to sort of break away uh, from all of this stuff. Well, Seattle is lucky to have you on the, 
Well, Lucky to have you guys. You guys are doing a podcast, which is super useful. <laughs> well, hopefully people find it fun to hear what people are working on. Yeah. Um, I think that's the kind of gist of the whole thing. And uh, I, I, one comment I, I want to come back to that you made about Seattle is I think, I think there's sort of an old-time Seattle personality that was very understated. I mean, we had, you know, a kingdom that could have been called, like, you know, the John Norsen's dome or whatever. Right. But, I mean, the old style was, no, you just didn't put your name on things. Yes. And we had, you know, we had, you know, people who did the World's Fair, you know. Yeah. No one wanted their name on that. You know, no one, like, stood up, you know, you know what I mean? It's kind of an mm-hmm. old style thing. Like, in, go to go to L.A. or go to the, go to California and, like, every building's got companies' names on it. We right. We don't put companies' names on buildings. Yeah. It's yeah. Seattle. We don't do it. Although if you do go to private schools around here in Seattle, you'll see a lot of like staircases and fire sure. extinguishers for with sure. people's names on yeah, them. We're sure. like, yeah. really? Everything, everything yeah. Everything gets paid for. Yeah. I sponsor yeah. that fire extinguisher. Right. It is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty fascinating about fire schools. Anyway, I do think there's something about the Seattle personality that's maybe, I mean, it's wonderful, but it's also maybe inhibiting some. Yeah, no, I th- I think so too. I think we need to have uh, you know more of an ego. I uh, one of the things I say repeatedly is that I you know sometimes I think that the thing that could help Seattle most is not a bunch of capital, but it, like a platoon of sports psychologists who would like sort of parachute in here and say, "You can do this. You know, huh. you you got this. Let's go for it. You're as good as everybody else. Let's <laughs> let's go do some stuff." Interesting. Well, I I work with a lot of Mike Mike Dusty work with a lot of these like really early stage companies that are. And it does seem like still for the early stage companies, finding capital is a tough job. Yeah. And I wish there was a way to make it like easier on, on these folks. Cause like my complaint is that you'll take a team that's working in the garage somewhere, working in the lab somewhere, and that's really productively working away and then they'll need capital. So they'll have to basically stop working and spend a whole bunch of time in the community fundraising, which isn't their strong suit. Right. And they're not, I mean, if they're great in, the, in working on whatever their thing is, and so it's kind of annoying to me that people have to take, it takes so long. And yeah. I think some of that's regulatory. I think the regula- some of the regulatory changes can be made to make it easier. But we have to fight this constant battle of like uh, the regulators don't like don't like the, the are leery of making things too freewheeling in the in private equity markets. Yeah. Um, so I was I was at this conference I mentioned before down in the Valley, and one of the panelists, or one of the panels, was basically um, four generations of the Draper family. Mm-hmm. Um, so VCs from, you know, way back in the day, and right. in fact, the generation that was already deceased, you know, like sort of the generation that would have been like 120 at this point or something, right. got awful like that, um, was also in investing. So it's really five generations of that huh. family that have been wow. investing in the Valley. And, and they talked about really all the way down to the present, you know, 24 year old level of the family. They talked about knocking on doors. So it was like the first guy looked for, um, you know, anybody with, uh, mechanical in their title. And then the next guy looked for anybody with software in their title. Mm-hmm. And and they talked about going to garages and going to barns and knocking on the door and saying, hey, I, I have money. I'd like to look at your company and think about investing. And that's where we need to be in Seattle. We yeah. need to be at that level of competition, yeah. that capital that's, that's that hungry and competitive that we will be knocking on the doors of those garages instead of having those guys 
guys put down their whatever and come out and look for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, ultimately you still want to, as a, as money, you want to be chosen that your value add, but you want to be hungry enough that you know about all those guys in the garages, guys and gals, hopefully in garages. And um, they don't have to come find you. You've already made contact with them and, right. and they're, um, and they know who you are and they, and they know who to go to. Uh, and I, you know, I get frustrated because I think um, that, you know, their competitor is starting right now in Palo Alto or in Selma, you know, right, right. and they are getting funded in a fraction of the time right. that it takes our folks up here to get funded. Yeah, right. And that is not in service of our capital or of our entrepreneurs um, or the ultimate, you know, exit for the community. Right. So we need to accelerate that fundraising cycle here and make it a lot easier. The other thing I think, um, and this is, you know, it's, there's no real way to test this, but it's a, a pretty um, strongly uh, felt um, belief by me and I think a lot of other people is that we're not having the amount of company creation that we should, given the talent pool that we have, because when people at Amazon, for example, on the Alexa team or whatever, think, I'm doing something really cool here, I'm getting paid really well, I've got appreciation in my stock options, um, but I have this great idea and I'd love to start a company. When they go through that mental math, they think about what they would need to do to start that great company, and they think about raising money. And they have been taught to believe, and there's good reason for this, that in order to do a world-class company and to raise world-class money, they would have to move back to Silicon Valley to do it. And they think, well, why, why am I here in Seattle? What did we decide when we moved here? Now we've got kids in school. You know, right. there's right. a lot of reasons they don't want to leave Seattle that we all experience too. Mike living on Bainbridge, what the heck? Um, you know, so it's, it it's just a bunch of woods out there. Mike? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. It's great. Yeah. Great. L- love those I've woods. Got, I've got a nice house completely surrounded by woods with a fast yeah. internet connection and a bunch of monitors. And I, yeah. and I, uh, every day the kids go off to school and I go into my office and I just, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's and you fantastic. probably you probably paid for the house too. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's yeah. a it's a great place. But I mean, yeah. but I'm but you know, it's part of the reason I do the podcast is so I can feel a little bit more connected because it's um right. you know I'm out here now. I, I, it's it's I, I, I it's easy to get disconnected if you move out of the out of the center of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I hear you. So it's you know, so I think we need to we need to help these guys compete, um, and uh, and and that requires you know just us getting collectively a lot more aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, that's great. a really, that's a really good, those are really, really good thoughts. And, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I want to, I want to follow up with you on those thoughts. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to help. You know, if we yeah. Do anything. Good. If yes, we absolutely. I've had this idea rumbling around for a while. Um, basically it's like a community chest idea, but we won't bore everyone on the podcast. With, with, with our idea. Well, I'll, I'll email you about the idea. And see, instead I've been trying to pass go really fast and keep collecting <laughs> keep that 200. Yeah. 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 The community chest is nice, but you know, well, I always, I always have this idea that we could like people could, people who want to support the community can, can like just pitch a bunch of money into a, into a, basically a, a community chest. And then, and then, uh, and then that money could be deployed in a way that would benefit the community as a whole, and we'd have to have some structure in place to figure out how to allocate the money. But I mean, I know that a lot of people who just would like to participate in some level, like with something like this, right? Right. Well, the other, you know, of course, the other crazy thing from an angel perspective is how many accredited investors we actually have living in the greater Puget Sound region and how few of them are actively investing and why is that? And, and I am of the school that that's not because they're, 
stingy or stupid or whatever, it's because we haven't opened the door somehow. And so it's, it's, it's back, you know, we're being the taxi cab industry in that case, that our investment industry is not serving those folks. Yeah, um, I think so we you, need to fix that. You've taken a good approach with the, the way that you've figured out how to diversify your angel investing, which I think is actually a model that maybe some, some new angel investors might want to follow. Because like I've looked at, I've looked at, I've uh, been to a bunch of the angel events and, and I've looked at opportunities and thought about getting into the angel angel uh, investing game. But, um, but the problem that I've had is that the capital that I want to deploy is not, I mean, it's, it's, it's enough to to get involved, but it's not enough to spread the bets out as widely as I'd like, because I know that I know the odds. And so I'm not, unless you're, unless you're ready to, you know, invest in, in 10 to 20 companies, you're running a big risk that they all just, you know, they all, you know, even all the, if you're making all the right choices, you still have to assume that maybe two out of 10 are going to make it maybe. Um, so yeah, so, so, I mean, in order for angel investing to work, you don't have to have, just have enough money to invest in angel companies, but you kind of, if you want to do it smart, you, you've got to, um, have enough money to invest in, in several, uh, companies so that, so right. that you can spread it out. And you've, you found a way to do that, um, you know, through the, through the seed funds and, and the incubators and things. I think that's actually a really smart, smart plan. Maybe people could emulate that. Yeah, no, thank you. And we ought to make that easier to do because right now that takes quite a bit of capital to do just because you, because some of the minimums in those mm-hmm. funds are, are yeah. pretty steep. Um, so we ought to figure out a way to, to make that easier. And, and maybe that's something we can follow up on. Yeah. 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 I'd love to think about it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Looks no, happy great. to do it. Thank you for Looks inviting great. me in your beautiful office with a beautiful view. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Until next time, I guess, everyone. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll uh, see you all next week.